privilege to be here, and it's always great to come here and uh, to the big city and uh, to see so many uh, familiar faces and just appreciate that very much. Great to see the young adults from PEI here this morning, uh, Jesse and the crew, and uh, I was just thinking, you know, it was in 2012 that uh, we started coming east. My first visit was to Halifax in 1974, but I was only eight then. Um, but we started coming in 2012 and got to know the folks over at Charlottetown quite well, and, and Jesse and Mackenzie were a little shorter, and Garrett as well, and now they're the adults, and we're the old people, so <laughs> praise the Lord. And Jesse, you really encouraged my heart, brother, this morning praying for me, so thank you for that. Let's just, let's just turn to the Lord before we begin. God, uh, we're just so thankful, Lord, for these beautiful songs, Lord, that remind us of who you are, of your amazing grace, Lord, your incredible love, and Lord, we just bless you for that. And Lord, as we turn to your word, God, we just pray for your help this morning, that Lord, you would speak to our hearts as only you can do, that God, you would just meet with us here, and Lord, that you would just bless us as we look at your word. Father, be with the children in Sunday school, God. We just commit our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 3 today uh, in verse 20. Uh, but as you're turning there, uh, I'm thinking of a story this morning of religious devotion. And I was doing some reading and study, and, and my wife helped me find some good examples. And, and, you know, as we think of religious devotion, there's lots of examples of that around the world. Uh, in India, I was reading about the uh, Hindu sadhus, um, the, the, the uh, holy men, I suppose we could call them, who uh, have a lot of ascetic practices, and they go to great extremes in their uh, religious observances. You know, some of them will, like, live for years with an arm raised above their head until it becomes withered. Some of them will stand and never lay down for years and, and, and be suspended by ropes so that they never lay down. Uh, some will walk on sandals with nails, you know, pointed at their feet. I read of a guy who rolls around. Wherever he goes, he rolls. And he rolls for 1,300 kilometers on a particular trip. And he just rolls everywhere he goes. And they go to extremes. And some of the, the things that they do, frankly, we don't want to mention in polite company. It's, it's extreme. Uh, in their attempt to be righteous. In their attempt uh, to get close to God, I suppose. And, you know, we might look at that as strange in our context, and yet, you know, this kind of practice is, is, was a part of the church in some respects many, many years ago, and perhaps in some quarters today. It wasn't soon after the age of the apostles that even what we call the church fathers lived very ascetic lives, and there was this thought back then that, you know, that uh, somehow to, to live the Christian life, we have to deny ourselves all kinds of, you know, the things in life and, and live this very ascetic life and a harsh life somehow that that brings us closer to God. Some of it was born out of a good desire. You know, a lot of the, uh, the men who followed the apostles, their desire was they just saw that they, they considered the suffering of Christ and they felt that, man, like he has suffered so much and I have a life of ease and I just want to somehow, you know, suffer like he did and in some way. And that led to asceticism and it led to rules and it led to regulations and it became a man-made religion over time. <clears throat> and so we may think that those, those Hindu men are strange, and perhaps to our thinking they are, and yet there can be a tendency of this kind of, of working towards righteousness, even in our own lives at times. And when I come to Romans chapter 3, sorry, beginning in verse 21, we're going to 
I, I hope you're okay with the gospel here. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course. Uh, we have a good news message today. I actually prefer the term good news because that's what gospel means. And if our gospel message does not have good news in it, well, then there's not much gospel in it. But sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says this. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. Bear in mind that Paul is writing to the Romans, to the Roman church in Rome, comprised of Jews and Greeks. Some would suggest this letter was, letter was written in around A.D. 54. In A.D. 45, the, the, the Jews were expelled from Rome by the emperor of the day. They were forced out. They had to leave, all out. And so they were sent away. And then a few years later, they were allowed back under Nero. In fact, Nero was the emperor at the time Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And at this point, Nero had allowed the Jews to return to, the, to Rome. And there was no indication at this time that Nero would become the persecutor that he, that he would. And so the Jews have returned to Rome. They're now mingling again with the Gentile Christians in the church. There were issues between the Jews and the Gentiles. They had their different points of view. They had their different uh, customs. And Paul is writing to address this. And in the first chapters of Romans, you'll know that he is kind of leveling the ground, if you will, bet between Jew and Gentile and trying to make them understand that we're all on level ground before the cross. And so apart from the law, and we know that for the Jewish people, right, the law was everything. And they felt that because they were born a Jew, and because they possessed the law, and because they were circumcised, that they had it made in the shade, as we say. And that they, had, they were righteous before God, and all the Gentiles were sinners, and they, they were trusting in that form of righteousness which comes through the law. And Paul is now telling them this shocking truth, <laughs> that it's apart from the law. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. And the law itself pointed to Christ. And you know, interestingly, right from the beginning of the institution of the Mosaic law, it was assumed that it would never be kept. The sacrificial system was given right from the beginning, which is, the, which, you know, is the whole reason for it is because we fail to keep it. And therefore, we have to bring a requisite sacrifice to God to make atonement for that. You know, Paul would say that according to the law, he was basically without defect. And what did he mean by that? It didn't mean that he never broke the law. It just meant that when he did, he brought the requisite sacrifice according to the law. And in that respect, he was blameless concerning the law. But the law had this notion of failure built in from the beginning because it there was a sacrifice for sin. And those sacrifices pointed to another. And the fact that I myself cannot atone for it. An animal, an innocent third party is going to have to die for my sin. And that blood will have to be spilt and placed upon the altar, etc., according to the sacrificial system. So the law testifies to God's righteousness, that it is apart from the law. And the prophets, of course, testified to the coming Savior. Of course, we think of Isaiah, chapter 53, is a very poignant example of that, the suffering servant. And the prophets testified of one who would come, who would bear the sins of the people, who would make atonement to God, who would make the way back to God. The law and the prophets testified that it would be apart from the law that God's righteousness would be revealed. <clears throat> and that's what we're thinking about this morning, is God's righteousness. Those Hindu holy men, 
are trying to achieve a righteousness through their extreme practices. And, sometime, and the Jews were trying to achieve their own righteousness because they, they thought they were keeping the law, or they had the law, or they had circumcision, or they had these things. They were Jews, after all, and not sinners of the Gentiles. And, and I would submit to you that, that we, you know, as we think of that, we say, well, Mark, you know, we're not Jews here today. We don't, you know, we're not under the law of Moses, and we don't you know, have these. But I would submit to you that even as Christians sometimes, we can cross this line a little bit and begin to think about our own righteousness. And I'm going to call that this morning what I like to call performance Christianity. <laughs> uh, and, and sometimes that can take different forms. And in my life, for many years, it took a legalistic form when I was a younger man. And I felt that if I just attended the right kind of church and I used the correct Bible version and I dressed a certain way and I only listened to a certain kind of music, that I was a cut above the rest of the Lord's people, you see. And it leads to spiritual pride, as it did for the Jews. And sometimes those things can even enter into the church. And, and they might be based on good intentions, but we allow a, a, some man-made definitions to creep in. And when we do that, we're talking about our righteousness. But Paul says, apart from the law. The righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. And here we have in verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Praise the Lord. And we have the heart of it right here, right at the beginning of our passage today. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I'm so glad this morning that we have a law of faith, that we have a message of faith and belief in Christ. And it's to everyone who believes. It's not to a select few. It is to whosoever will may come. And there is no distinction. Bear in mind, Paul is trying to speak to the Jews and to the Gentiles in this Roman church who are a little bit at loggerheads. There's no distinction, friends. We're going to see why in a minute. But I love this incredible truth. And it does not say that the righteousness of God is through religious observance. It does not say that the righteousness of God is achieved with knowledge. It does not say that the righteousness of God is achieved because my theology is all worked out. None of those things are there. It is for all who believe. And that's a message that is so simple and yet so profound and yet so many people struggle with it. And why is that? I think there's something about us within our nature that just wants to work at things. It's just a natural thing that we want to work at. it. I remember over 30 years ago in the workforce, I had a workmate and his name was Steve Wolf and I haven't talked to him in 25 years, so I don't know where Steve is at these days. But, uh, you know, Steve and I were workmates, and I remember we were in a factory in Oshawa, Ontario, and Whitby, Ontario, and I was walking from, I'd been a new assignment to work with Steve, and I was walking from plant one to plant two, and he was standing there in a lab coat, and we were quality assurance technicians, and he was standing in a lab coat with his arms folded, tapping his foot, and I walked to him and said, Hey, I'm Mark. He says, I know who you are. He says, and let's get one thing straight, Palmer. He says, you try preaching to me any of that Jesus stuff, and I'm going to punch you right in the mouth. <laughs> but you know, as I began to share with Steve, the one thing he said to me is, it's just too easy. Are you telling me that all I have to do is believe? I'll work for it, thank you very much. I'm not going to take something that I didn't pay for. That, that's just a cheap way out. 
and people have this attitude, and we can work towards righteousness, and some people are living that way, perhaps even attending church on a regular basis, perhaps growing up in a Christian home and misinterpreting what the faith is about. They've never come to that decision point for themselves, and they're, they're, they're trying to get there through good works. And we have this idea that if my good outweighs my bad, then the eternal scales of God, that somehow he'll just let me into heaven. After all, I've never killed anyone. I've never robbed a bank. And that's an idea that we can have. But Paul says, listen, that the righteousness of God is completely apart from law. It is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction to Jew, to Gentile, to every person. It is by faith and faith alone that God's righteousness is achieved. And so that's the the good news of the gospel today that we proclaim to receive Christ as your Savior, to believe on him. And Paul goes on to say in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And here we come to that negative aspect of the gospel that we that we struggle with, that people struggle with. And we don't like to be told that we're not all that we think that we are. We don't like to be confronted with this truth that there is sin within me, and yet Paul has clearly shown and earlier in this chapter that all are under sin. There is this, this power that has its hold over us. And some people struggle with this concept. And, you know, in our context in Inverness, uh, you know, people can say, well, Mark, like, you know, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anyone. I'm not Adolf Hitler. And they have this idea in their mind that if I'm a sinner, that means I'm the worst of the worst of the worst and as bad as I could possibly be. And the scriptures don't say that, but it does say that we've all come short. We've all sinned against God in some way and in some fashion. It doesn't mean you're the worst of the worst. It doesn't mean you're Adolf Hitler, but what it does mean is that we all need a savior, you see. And this is the the level ground at the foot of the cross. And we cannot come there in our own works of righteousness. And we cannot come there and plead with God and say, Lord, don't you understand that I'm a a good, solid, church-attending person? And I give regularly to the Lord's work. And I take my children to Sunday school. Friends, we're all sinners. And Paul is reminding the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome. Remember, Paul writes this not to, center, uh, not to unbelievers. You know, we, we, we use this always in our gospel presentations, and praise God, it's a great passage, but Paul's writing to believers here. And he is reminding them that, guys, <laughs> I know you're Jews, so am I. I know you've been born into the right people group. I know you are in possession of the law. I know that you have circumcision. It's not enough. Just like your Gentile brothers and sisters, you're all under sin. That's why this offer of grace of God is open to all without distinction, Jew and Gentile, whether you have the law or not, whether you're religious or not. We need to understand that we are sinful people. And you know, as we allow man-made rules and perhaps even legalism sometimes to enter our life, it causes us to have something called spiritual pride, and we begin to look down upon other people. I did that for years. My only purpose in going to the meeting was to to see who I could judge that week as not as good as me or find some problem in their life. And we begin to despise others and we begin to look down at others. And the Jews and the Gentiles were doing this in Rome. You see, the Jews had been put out of Rome for years. The Gentiles were alone. They actually didn't like it when the Jews came back. It's like, oh, brother, these people again. Can't deal with them with all their customs and all of that nonsense, you know. 
And Paul is reminding them, listen, guys, we're all under sin. We're all declared unrighteous before God. Your Jewishness won't save you. Your law won't save you. Your circumcision will not save you. The fact that you attend the finest and the best and the most theologically correct church will not save you. All of our rules and regulations and our dress codes and whatever codes and rules we have will not save us. We are all sinners. And when we start to look down upon our brothers and sisters in the faith, we're forgetting this fact that we are equally sinners before God. And no matter how far we've come in this Christian life, however far we've come in maturity before the Lord, it's by God's grace. And we have so much farther to go, beloved. And perhaps you're not living in gross moral failure today. And praise God for that. But do you love God with all of your heart, mind, and soul every minute of every day? I don't think so. None of us can. That's an impossible task set before us. There are moments of selfishness. There are moments when I put myself above others. We do not live a perfect life, and although we may not be guilty of living in gross moral failure, sin still dwells within us, Romans chapter 6 and 7. There is a, an issue at heart here. And we're always in need of God's grace and always in this position to understand that we are sinners in our core being and we need the grace of God. We fall short, <clears throat> friends. But it doesn't end there. Praise God, verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And I hope we know this truth. It's, it's an old truth, praise God. But it's a gift of God's grace, you see. And of course, we're thinking of this often in terms of salvation for those that don't know the Lord. And I'm thinking of it in that context here this morning, but I'm thinking it for us as the Lord's people as well, for those of us that do know the Lord. We can forget this, and we start to look to performance, to self, to the way we live as our means of assurance. And it's a dead end, friends. It's a dead end. And there are preachers out there today who say, well... If the guy who pumps your gas doesn't know that you're saved, you're probably not. There's other preachers who say, well, the reason that so-and-so doesn't come to the prayer meeting is because they're probably not saved. There are others who would say that, well, if you listen to country music, you're not saved. Oh, that's probably true. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, these kinds of things enter in, and they're all very interesting. And I see memes all the time on Facebook. They're all very interesting, and they're all very interesting to consider, but they, they, the problem is they come from the book of first opinions. They're not scripture. The Bible does not say those things. It does not say, the scripture nowhere says that if the guy who pumps my gas doesn't know that I'm a Christian, that I'm lost. The Bible does not say that if you cannot remember the exact day, the exact hour, and the Bible verse upon which you were saved, that you were not saved. It does not say that. And we, we are in dangerous territory when we go beyond this book. What the Bible does say is that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Now, God knows your heart. And is it possible for someone to perhaps make a false profession? Well, theoretically, of course it is. And yet we see nothing of that in the book of Acts. There's no such thing as a false profession. When people made a profession of faith in the book of Acts, it was accepted. Baptism followed, and they were welcomed into the church. It's available to all who will simply Believe without distinction, we're all sinners before God, but praise God, we're justified freely by his grace. In other words, it's not of works, it's not of law, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God has presented him, verse 25, as the mercy seat by his blood, 
through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Your Bible might say God presented him as a propitiation or it might say as as an atonement or a place of atonement. And this word really uh, is, in in Hebrews in chapter 9, it's translated as mercy seat. And it comes from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament that the Jews had, and this is the word that is used for that mercy seat. It's the lid of the ark. How many have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yes, uh, times have changed, right? It's hard to believe that movie was over 40 years ago now. (laughs) Well, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're after the ark. Indiana Jones is chasing it down, right? And on that ark, if you've seen a picture of it, there's two angels, wings outstretched across the cover. And that ark sat in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, in the very holiest place of all, that no one could go except the high priest once per year, not without blood, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And there he would apply the blood on that mercy seat, and God's presence was there, and atonement was made for the people. But there was remembrance of it year by year by year. And God has presented Jesus. I love how that word is used here. It's like God is lifting up his son, and he's presenting him before the whole world and for us, and before angels, and saying, I want you to look at this guy. This is the mercy seat right here. There's redemption in him, guys. Forget about your works and your religion and your practices and your performance, and just look here, please. I've given him to you as a mercy seat. And we know, the book of Hebrews tells us, right, that Jesus didn't, you know, splatter his blood on the physical ark. By the time Jesus came around, that ark was long lost. But he went right into the Holy of Holies in heaven himself, before God, and presented himself to God there. And he made eternal atonement for us there. It can never be undone. And he satisfied it all, and that curtain we know that separated that holy place was torn in two, and access was granted, and now we go in there freely into the throne of grace. And Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the means of redemption through his blood shed upon the cross. And some people struggle with this concept, you know, what was the cross all about anyway? And it's so beautiful just to think, as we've been singing about this morning and reflecting on the simple truth, that there Jesus bore my sin and yours and the sin of this whole world. All of it. And that's a lot, friends. Because this whole world is very, very evil. And Jesus bore it all there on that day. And that's what was happening. Jesus was not just a victim of circumstances. He was not just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He went there willingly and with purpose. It was God's plan. And what he did there was he made an exchange. And he, you know, he took, as it were, my sin, if I could visualize it, and yours, and the sins of the whole world, and he took it on himself. And he who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. And he bore that penalty to God, to God's satisfaction, to make redemption for you and for I, so that we can go free by faith this morning. And God accepted it. And Jesus has provided this atonement, this redemption, this propitiation. He has paid the debt in full. That's what was happening there on that cross. And now God presents him high and lifted up as our mercy seat where atonement has been made through his blood and we access it through faith. And notice he says the third time to demonstrate his righteousness. 
because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. I'm so glad this morning that God is merciful and patient. You know, he doesn't just execute judgment immediately upon offense. If that was the case, there'd be no hope for any of us. (laughs) But God was looking forward to this day when his son would pay the penalty. And this speaks to us so clearly of the love of God towards us, towards all people, that he would send his son to take my place. Why? You know, even now as a child of God, uh, still filled with failure and doubts and fears at times and lacking faith and failing the Lord, nonetheless, he knew all of that and loved me still and he loves you still no matter what you're struggling with today. We come to him simply by faith this morning and understand that he is my mercy seat and he is my redemption and and God has, has presented him to us to demonstrate his righteousness. And verse 26, God presented him. Notice this is the fourth time. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. And God is both just and justifier. And I love that too because God doesn't sweep anything under the carpet. You know, as we look at our country today, in my opinion, I don't see a whole lot of justice out there anymore. It seems like our legal system is... Frankly, well, never. you know what I'm saying. There's little justice in this world. And we ignore things, and we sweep things under the carpet. But God does not do that. He is righteous, he is holy, he deals with things according to the right way to be done, and meaning that sin must be paid for properly, the offense must be paid, the fine must be paid. He doesn't say, oh, well, I'm just going to forget about it. No. The fine was paid, justice was done, the sentence was served upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he is just in forgiving us when we come to him by faith. It's not that he just forgets it, it's that he actually paid the debt himself. And so he can do so justly on the basis of of his law, on the law of God's righteousness, because his son suffered in our place. The fine has been paid, but he's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, and how beautiful that is that God justifies us. And I love that word justification. You know, it's, it's, as a brother once said to me, it's just as if I never sinned. That's not a bad little expression of justification. Just as if I never sinned. And when we come to Christ by faith, no matter who we are, by the way, no matter what we are, and I'll share some examples when I'm done, perhaps, but in Inverness, we have seen the, the power of God's good news to transform lives. We have seen people come like from a terrible, terrible situation to life. We had a men's conference recently. We met a young man who, for the first time, who has uh, come to faith just in the past year. And this young man, I mean, just, uh, you know, his own testimony. I mean, he was an alcoholic, like in deep, lost his family, lost his job, in jail, Ended up at a Christian men's recovery home in Kentville. And found the Lord. And, you know, he was at our men's conference a week ago. And we were chatting with him outside. And uh, it's just such a joy to see how this young man has come to faith. And he didn't come from a church background. And he wasn't trying to keep the law. He didn't even believe in God. His life was a mess. And yet the Lord met him. And he has found Jesus through faith not through works. 
and he is as saved today as he ever will be. And, and don't hear me say this morning that, you know, obviously the scriptures call us to maturity in the faith. They call us to something called sanctification. The Lord Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command you. Yes, the Bible calls us to a, a life of obedience and to growth and to maturing in the faith and to becoming more like the Savior, hopefully by the grace of God, you know, more tomorrow than today. Absolutely, amen. But those flow from a heart that loves the Lord that has been met by grace. They are not a means unto our righteousness before God because we already have that. Through faith, beloved. Through faith. And so God has presented him to, to demonstrate his righteousness, that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. And it's so beautiful. It's as simple as that. And I like to put it this way. Have you ever, and I'll ask you the question today because I don't know everybody here. Have you ever come to that place in your life where you understood that, where you agreed with God's description of you and said, yes, Lord, I agree with you that I am a sinner and I need your salvation. And I'm asking you by faith, God, to save me from my sins. I want to receive you, Lord, as my Savior. Have you ever come to that place? And we all must come to this intersection where we agree with God. That's a requirement from God. We have to come to that point where we realize that we need to be saved. Otherwise, what are we, what are we asking for here? And so we simply come to God, and the Bible uses a word that's called repentance, and that simply means to change your mind. Whereas once I was walking this way and didn't believe in God and was only going my own way, I'm turning around now and I'm walking towards God. That's repentance, to change your mind, to turn around. And it's to say, Lord, I agree with you. You're right. I'm a sinner and I need you. Please save me. Lord, I believe in you. And in that moment of time, we pass from life to death, from the kingdom of darkness into light. And praise God, we are his forevermore. And then begins this lifelong walk of sanctification. That just means to become more like Jesus. As we walk in obedience, as we learn his word, as we are a disciple, as we fellowship together with the Lord's people and we grow and we exercise the gifts, praise God over time. But our righteousness was established, beloved, on that day we put our faith in Jesus. And our righteousness must always be there. I have met Christians who think that if I just feel bad enough about myself, that somehow that that's going to make atonement. And I know Christians today who are walking around thinking that in order to be truly saved, I have to just, just think I am just, just really think bad thoughts about myself all the time and just dwell on this and they focus on this. And there's no assurance in that. There's nothing but, it's a dead end, friends. And if we even as Christians are thinking that somehow, you know, well, you know, I, I'm going to make it because I'm just doing all these great things for Christ, we're, we're going to find that's a very empty road. There's no satisfaction, there's nothing there. We have to trust only and always in Jesus because he is our righteousness, he is everything. Let me just flip over here quickly to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. Love this. Yes. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us unto our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You see, he's all those things to me. He is my righteousness. We've been talking about that. But he's also my sanctification, and he's my redemption. He's coming again 
to take me back to glory with him. He is all of these things for us. And four times in this passage that we've think, thought about this morning, it says his righteousness, his righteousness, his righteousness, his righteousness. Are we getting the picture? It's about his righteousness, not mine. And so if I've never come to Christ, and perhaps I'm like, you know, and I don't mean to be any disrespectful to the, to the Hindu sadhus. We need to pray for those men, that they will come to Christ and find out that they're beating a dead horse, as it were. We have sympathy and compassion towards those who think that they can work themselves to God. I had the opportunity 10 years ago to visit Israel. In, in Jerusalem, you see interesting things. <laughs> It seems like every religion in the world is represented there. There's something about that city that draws everyone. And I think we know why. It's the city where our Lord was crucified. It's the city to which he will return and reign upon this earth. And when I was over there, I saw all kinds of people in very fancy clothing and robes and very interesting outfits and all kinds of interesting religious practices going on. I mean no disrespect to anyone. But it's interesting to me that people actually think that by the clothing they wear, it commends them to God. And it does not. Oh yes, the Bible talks about modesty, yes, of course. <laughs> but we work these things in our minds, and even as Christians, we can get on this performance kick. And, and once I've been saved by faith, now from here on in, I need to make sure that I just really feel bad about myself all the time. Make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, that I'm really just always you know, in this state of, of depression. I've got to do all these other things here as if somehow that that is proof or that is assurance of my salvation. Friends, our assurance comes from our faith in Jesus alone. We have nothing besides him. I used to wonder, what am I going to say when I get before God to answer for all the garbage in my life, all the times that I failed him? What am I possibly going to say before him? It dawned on me one day, I hope by God's grace, that the only thing I'm, I, I would have to say to God is I have nothing to say, Lord, except I'm trusting in Jesus. That's it. That is our only hope, friends. No matter who we are today, no matter if we've been in the faith for 50 years or we're not even there yet, our only hope is in Jesus. It's about his righteousness. It's not about mine. And yes, he calls me to obedience. Yes, he calls me to sanctification. Yes, 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 but... But our righteousness is Jesus, and our faith and our trust must be holy in him. We must not look to ourselves, but to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. What a beautiful Savior we have this morning. It is by faith to all who believe. Have you believed? Have you put your faith in the Son of God? I question that. And as a Christian, what are we looking to for our assurance and for our hope? What is the source of it? Friends, we have reason this morning to be filled with great hope as we put our faith in Jesus because he is my righteousness and he is my sanctification and he is my redemption and he is coming again. And praise the Lord, I'm gonna be with him forevermore. Years ago, I was in the United States and I was uh, actually working with Grant and Shelley Canfield. Some of you will know those folks uh, from PEI and we were at a gospel table out in front of a Walmart in North Carolina and uh, we were just handing out literature, you know, and sharing with people, and this gentleman came along, and I was kind of disappointed because the team just went and got Chick-fil-A, you know, and I was missing out on that. But, you know, 45 minutes with this guy, and he was with a group that, are, are, that call themselves uh, black Hebrew Israelites. And so what they believe is that, uh, that the, the African-American people are the true Jews and everybody else isn't. 
And I said to him after a while, I said, listen, sir, I said, can I ask you, I said, how are you getting to heaven? On what basis are you getting to heaven? And he said to me, he says, because I keep the law. And I said to him, I said, how are you making it with that? And he had a moment of truth, and he literally, he was talking at me mostly for 45 minutes, and he, he, he was a big guy, and he looked down on the ground. And then he looked up at me, and he says, well, I try. And I said, sir, the Bible says, Romans 10 and verse 4, that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I said, when I lay my head on my pillow tonight, I know with certainty that I am on my way to heaven, not because I'm a good man, not because I'm righteous, not because I can keep the law. I said, I don't even want to keep the law. I can't. Nobody could. Only Jesus ever kept the law, by the way. I said, and this is the assurance I have. And he went away sad. He says, well, you're, you know, I used to think that, but not any longer. He says, you know, I commend you for what you're trying to do. And he went away sad. And I was sad too. Because we're trusting in something other than Jesus. Friends, there is no trust in anything but Jesus. Salvation is by faith. It is a gift of God's grace. Have you believed in him as your savior today. And then as a Christian, are we living in the assurance of that righteousness, that redemption that has been provided for us? That's all we've got, beloved. Amen, praise God. Uh, you know, use the right Bible version. <laughs> you know, uh, all of those things are great in their place, but they're not our righteousness. Only Jesus is. May the Lord help us to be assured of that today. And if you have any questions at all, I'm happy to chat with you after. The elders here uh, can, can help you to know the Lord. Know it. Be assured of it. We're living in, in perilous times. Uh, the, the culture has gone absolutely mad. But you know what, friends? We're approaching the first century days when the church exploded. And we are seeing signs of people turning to the Lord as a direct result of the complete chaos that is overtaking our society. It's an opportunity right now before us to present the answer because we have it, friends. We have it, and his name is Jesus. And we have this answer to provide for people. I was talking to a lady this summer, and we talked for about an hour, and she was just sharing with me how because of what's going on in the schools and what her children are being exposed to, she's looking towards faith. And we're seeing signs of this, and I kind of saved this for the end today, but I wanted to share with you just a little bit about Inverness Church. Thank you so much for your prayers and your support. Uh, we continue to grow by God's grace in every way, and we continue to see uh, new people on a fairly regular basis. We had several people come to faith this year. We baptized six in the harbor this summer, and we uh, have a seventh to baptize. We need to get them before the water freezes. <laughs> um, and we're seeing people come. And we're seeing people, we have uh, non-believers attending regularly, praise the Lord. We need to meet people with their, where they're at. I love this church in Northbrook. I was telling David, we, we brag you up, okay? And that's not because of you. We understand it's the grace of God. But I love this church and what you're up to. And um, we need to meet people where they're at. And we need to show compassion towards people and not despise anyone for who they are or what they are. And we, need, we have an answer that, that reaches everyone. You know, Jesus would say to the Pharisees that, that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. That's to the religious leaders. And we've seen examples of that, uh, of people coming to faith, coming out of, you know, what we would consider just, you know, a really tough life, right? Coming out of heavy addiction 
and coming to know the Savior and entering into the kingdom ahead of those who think they are righteous in, their, in themselves, who are following religious paths and don't have all of those addiction hang-ups and problems in their life. And they're, they're entering into the kingdom of God, just like this young man I told you about. Beautiful story. And you know, he's still got tons of rough edges all around him. You know, the, the odd word comes out that we might not consider polite, and he's still smoking, and you know, he, he just, you know, but he's just filled with the joy of the Lord. And it's so wonderful to see how the Lord meets us where we are. And I think as churches, we need to meet people where they're at, disciple them forward, and love them as God does. And not, and not expect them to, you know, just be radically transformed before they come in the building, right? <laughs> That's not the way it works. But Inverness Church continues to grow, and uh, it would be unusual for us to have less than 100 on a Sunday now. Um, we have regular visitors. We, uh, we have a, a expanding Sunday school and youth. Uh, we're we're, uh, we're uh, working towards a renovation project. We rent the United Church now in town, which seats 335 people which is great, but we are out of space for Sunday school and nursery. Our nursery is a, basically a closet. It's an entryway. And uh, so when I'm preaching, if I see the lights in the, in the chamber go on and off, I know it's the little kids in the, <laughs> in the nursery playing with the switches. And so we are looking to renovate. We have a second and third story in the building that hasn't been used in over 40 years. We're looking to recover that space, not just for Sunday school, but our vision is to have a building that is used seven days a week. And so we have great needs in our town, and we have big ideas, we hope, are led by the Lord, and we want to meet people in their need, and I really feel we're convicted about this in Inverness, that that is the key to ministry in 2023. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he sent the 72 out, he says, when you go, heal the sick, preach the gospel. When Jesus himself would heal people, would feed people, would look after that physical need and also share with them the truth. And we, we really feel convicted about that. And so we want to be able to offer uh, after-school programming where the kids can come for that hour or two in those single mom or single dad households, right? And there's nowhere for the kids to go until mom or dad get off work. We want to have Celebrate Recovery as an alternative to some of the, the addiction recovery programs and also help people in their relationships. You know, we have ideas around you know, the, the, the soup kitchen idea where we're offering meals for seniors and low-income people in town and all kinds of stuff like that. So pray for us in that regard, that the Lord would make that way uh, open for us uh, so that we can achieve the things that we want to do. And, and our, our goal is to, to be a church in that community that people know that, yes, they're those weird born-again people, but they love us, and we can go there for help. And then we hope, but by God's grace, that as they get to know us and understand that we do love them and care for them, that they will then meet the Lord through that process and, and come into fellowship, you know? Oh, by the way, yes, we have church on Sunday. You're welcome. Recently, like first of the month, um, we have a potluck at our church, and uh, Recently, what we're trying to do is, is have everyone just invite your friends and neighbors just to even to come for lunch, even if you don't come to the service. That's okay. We just want to get to know you and to bless you and to share a meal together with you. And so that's kind of our focus, uh, is to reach people through good works, to open up the doors, uh, to change the relationship. And we've had people, uh, many people, uh, where this has been so effective because, you know, they're used to kind of, and again, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not criticizing door-to-door -door work. I've done it. Uh, I've done it. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that oftentimes these people have had the knock on the door, but they haven't had someone come to pray with them. They haven't had someone come to help them, you know, fix the, the stove that isn't working anymore. And, and when you do those things for people, it, it just changes everything. 
You know, we've done a lot of projects in town where we try to minister to the physical need. And, and when we're coming to the end of that project, it's almost 100% of the time that family is then completely open to us to pray with them and to talk to them. They want to know why. And, and I think that's the thing. You know, if we love people the way Jesus loves people, we, we love people extravagantly with the love of God, they will always ask you why. Always. I remember years ago, I used to do some street ministry, did it, a lot of it in Charlottetown, actually, and um, I would just go to the streets, and it was a, an idea the Lord gave me when I was in the States, um, to just take a pocket full of gift cards, go to the streets, and give people something practical as a, as a way to open a door. And it, <laughs> fascinating discussions. Um, but... One, a brother said to me once, he says, Mark, how do you deal with rejection? I said, I never have. When you're handing somebody a $10 gift card for Tim Hortons or a $20 gift card for the grocery store, there is no rejection. What they do say is, like, they always say is, why would you do that? What, what, what do you, what, why? Oh, well, since you've asked. Since you have asked me, then let me explain. And they always listen. No, they don't always receive it, of course, Right. And so that's what we're trying to do as a church in, in kind of a bigger fashion is, is meet the needs of people. We're actually partnering with a, a church in Ottawa right now, very excited about this potential. Uh, this church in Ottawa has um, some guys in their church that have partnered with a local bread company for all of their scraps to give away, and now they've got a contract with Amazon. So Amazon is giving them like skids and skids of products that they're either are aged or <clears throat> discontinued. The only, uh, but it has to be given away. It cannot be sold. So, you know, uh, for example, they got a skit of Chromebooks. So they went to the University of Ottawa and gave them away for free to students. And so they're now part, want to say, they, they just approached me the other day and said, Mark, we want to bring a tractor trailer load of Amazon skids to Inverness. Do you think that would work? I said, oh, yes. You know, they come with like bedding, with like furniture, with all kinds of stuff to bless people, and, and it just makes a huge impact, always with a view to share the good news, of course, and to establish that relationship. Um, and we have so many people in our town that, that I'd like to say are on the edge, and, and they're talking to us, and they're, they're, they're I, I think some of them are <laughs> saved already. They don't come to church yet. Um, and so pray for us in that we have so many coming uh, that don't yet know the Lord, but they come regularly and they're coming to hear the message and they're interacting with us. And, and we've had the testimony of so many people tell us that it's because of the good works. It's because of this love that we show for people. And that, that's the Lord's work, right? It's, we're not bragging about that. Everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. And uh, I was uh, invited up to a church in um, North Sydney, uh, that's way up at the top end of Cape Breton. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I was kind of sharing. They wanted me to share with what's going on in Inverness Church. On paper, we're like almost 150 people. So if everybody showed up, I mean, it's quite, it's quite something. Eight years ago, we started with 11. You know, and we're in a town of 1,400. So we have 10% of the population. Um, but we, we have so much more to do. Um, anyway, I was just sharing with this church uh, because a lot of churches struggle and, um, with reaching people. And, and again, we're, I'm not criticizing uh, you know, the, the old-style gospel meetings. By all means, do that. 
But people aren't coming in, friends. We, we have to get out there and get into their life. And we have to find ways to get into their life. And, and I would encourage you, as, as all of you, as families and individuals, ask the Lord, Lord, who can we reach as a family? Just give us one person, one couple. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Pray for 30 days and say, Lord, open a door here. Show us how we can get into the life of this person in a meaningful way and introduce them to the Lord. And um, so I was just sharing these stories and, and, and how we can use what God has blessed us with materially to serve, to serve him. And, and this gentleman came to me after. It was so exciting to see. He was an older gentleman, and he owned um, a mobile home park. You know, we, in Ontario, we call those a trailer park. Uh, David was very kind to say I'm from Cape Breton, and I do live there, but I'm originally from Ontario, I'm sorry to say. Um, uh, anyway, uh, he came to me after the service. He said, Mark... I've got an idea. I heard what you were saying. He says, I got a trailer park. What if I took one of those and set it aside and let it like a, a, a single mother and her kids stay there for free? And I said, amen, brother. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, use it for the, the kingdom and watch what the Lord will do with that. You understand what that means to a family to help somebody in such a way. And they always ask why. And we get to say, because we know someone named Jesus. And he loves you, and we're just trying to show you that. Can I tell you about him? Anyway, we could share many stories, but beloved, we have such good news. We're saved by faith. We know that. We're kept by God's grace. Our righteousness is Jesus, nothing that I can do. And yes, he calls me to a life of sanctification, of growth and obedience. Praise God by his grace. We want to see that in our lives. But our righteousness is founded on him. And no matter what you're struggling with here this morning as a Christian, and we all do, if we were honest with ourselves, I know, so, I know I, 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 I've been a hypocrite for a long time. Got it down really good. Can put on the great face, you know, show up every week at the meeting and my heart wasn't in it. We're all dealing with stuff. Romans chapter six and seven. Nobody is without the struggle. The struggle against the flesh is real. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will admit that. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are secure in him because he is your righteousness. And know that he loves you this morning and that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And you are on your way to glory, even in the midst of your struggle, because you have put your faith in the Son. But let's keep short accounts with him. And let's not at linger. And allow that sin and that problem to destroy our relationship with the Lord and to set us into the penalty box. Let's keep short accounts with God. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. It is forgiven in the grand scheme, but that stuff I'm dealing with now, that causes a relationship problem with my father I need to deal with. And it's so easy, friends. We just simply come back and say, Lord, I've sinned again. Would you please forgive me again? And he always will friends, and he loves you. And so be assured in him today. If you don't know the Lord, put your faith in him today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your incredible grace. Lord, that you have lifted up your son as the mercy seat. God, to demonstrate your righteousness, not ours, because we don't have any. Lord, how we thank you that we can rest in the work of our Savior, that we can put our faith in you, and that we can find redemption in him because of what he has done. God, would you just bless your people here? Lord, uh, encourage each heart and home. Lord, whatever people are struggling with now, Father, would you give them hope in the midst of it? God, would you give us assurance because our faith is in you? If there's someone here today, Lord, that has not come to that decision point, if there's someone watching online, Lord, I pray that they would not let it go 
And if you're watching today, if you're listening today, don't let the moment slip. Give your heart to Christ. Put your faith in Jesus today. He is our only hope. Lord, we thank you for this truth. Bless your people. And Lord, we just thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Good to see you.